Well, hey, everybody, what is up? Happy Easter. It is just so great to have you with us for this Easter teaching and happy, yeah, happy Easter. We're just so thrilled that you could join us today or listening in. Um, obviously, this is a big weekend in the church calendar, and this whole weekend has been beautiful, just hiking together, taking communion together, uh, many of you, and then today, celebrating resurrection, celebrating an empty tomb. Um, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed, and uh, what a day to join in. So thanks for joining. Thanks for hitting play, joining in with us. We love you guys so much, and so much love from our community to you as you join us. Uh, with all that said, we're going to jump right into today's Easter teaching. And if you want to follow along and open up your Bible with us, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. And you're like, wait, John chapter 3? Like, isn't John chapter 3 the kind of the Easter thing? Uh, Genesis chapter th- Genesis chapter 3 is actually where we're going to be. Uh, don't worry, it's not going to be too long, I promise. You're like, we're starting in Genesis. What does that mean? Um, don't just hang with me. It'll be good. I promise. Won't be too painful, hopefully. And then if you want to keep your thumb in your Bible and have Colossians 2 ready as well, or your search wheel ready at some point, we'll end in Colossians 2. Um, I think it's important as we talk about how Easter fits into the big story of God to just be reminded of a couple essential things that shook up early on in our Bibles, because Easter does kind of fit in. It is the centerpiece of a larger story that's at hand and how God is moving and working in the world. Uh, If you know the creation, the Hebrew creation story, it starts in a garden, and really that is an image. I know I don't squiggle as well as the Bible Project, but here's a little visual just to give you a little visual. Um, The story starts in a garden, But even more so than a garden, really the imagery we get is that this garden where God is walking in the cool of the day with his creation is his temple, is really his first temple, heaven and earth together. All the sights and sounds and images would actually be carried forth later on to Israel's story when they would have a tabernacle and a temple. All the images within that particular tabernacle and temple really push back to Eden, Eden is the first cosmic temple, and you see here that it is heaven and earth together. God space and human space together, flourishing together. I always say there's sex without lust, there's food without gluttony, there's wine without alcoholism. This place is teeming with potential and beauty, and uh, it's God walking with his creation in Shalom. And if you know the story, obviously we talk a lot about this. It doesn't last very long. Uh, The Satan uh, comes into the story and he's pretty crafty at deceiving proto-humans into kind of, um, into sin, into rebellion against God, kind of placing in their minds that if they do certain things, they can be like God. And of course, the human heart was bent to uh, kind of rebel and try and become their own God. And in the process, I know C.S. Lewis a lot in his writing talks about how the world now is bent and broken. It's just bent. And just look around. I always say like the apologetic right now is just to kind of look around. Um, It's pretty apparent that something is off if you're with me. There's something in creation from all that we see in our brokenness that is off. And so at the very fabric of who we are as humans to the, the creation, there's something, there's something off. So it starts in a garden. Uh, rebellion leads to this kind of place and space where God's space and human space are uh, taken apart, are torn apart. And here we are in an age of a lot of not so great things. I mean, even this morning as I was waking up, I was thinking about 
uh, how, you know, I wake up and there's chocolate and coffee and it's pretty comfy cozy, but we have brothers and sisters around the world. I think of like in Ethiopia, I think of obviously, uh, brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are in war torn places. You just look around and we begin to see that even just at a philosophical level, um, things feel at least as though they, that things feel like they are as not as they should be. If you're following me. In and amongst kind of the fall, one of the things we get a picture of in Genesis 3 is that God actually says to the Satan, to the serpent in this story, he says some things. If you open up with me, start in verse 14, Genesis 3, 14, it says this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And then there's this little line that actually gives us like, foresight to what would happen in a fallen age. This is what God says to the serpent. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now this is a picture of the cosmic battle that even at times manifests itself on earth between God and his kingdom and his goodness and his glory and the Satan and what we would call the powers and principalities. That this is actually like a, a picture for us of what this age would be like. Back and forth. He will crush your head. There was a, a picture that a Messiah, God would actually embody a Messiah that would come and deal with the Satan and his minions and the powers and principalities once and for all. But it would be back and forth. That evil would be nipping at the heel of God. Yet... The picture is, is that someday something would be coming where God would crush the head of the enemy. And so with this, and we lack this a lot. I know you're thinking, man, this is Easter. Isn't it like pastel time? Um, shouldn't we be like happy? Sorry, this is actually part of the story. I think we need to talk about this. And sorry, I didn't wear pastels. I am almost 40 now. So my wardrobe is basically everything black. Like you literally open it up. I have five outfits. They're all black. Okay. So from like from hoodies to jackets to shirts, it's just the life of an almost 40 year old. My, my apologies, no pastels, but we do need to talk about this. And one of the things that we sometimes lack in the Western context, when we talk about Easter and the story of God is a theology of the powers and principalities. Um, one of the questions that, that fundamentally comes up a lot when we think about God is who is in control, right? Who is in control? Uh, Paul in Ephesians 2 basically says that the Satan that manifests itself in the garden as we saw as a serpent is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's the picture of the Satan. Again, happy Easter. So glad you're joining us. John, 1 John would pick this up as well. John says this, uh, 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of who? Yahweh, the God of the Bible? Well, John looks and goes, no, no, the whole world is under the control of the evil one, right? That Paul, John, they describe the Satan as a prince with power and the world is under his control. This is actually part of the story. I know I've already thrown up the image, but a, a good picture of like certainly God, Yahweh reigns and rules, but under him, 
there are the powers and principalities and the Satan that have taken control of the age in which we live. And we have to tell that story as we kind of move towards death, the death of Jesus and and resurrection, because a lot of times we attribute control to God, and yet we see over and over in the scriptures that through and in this age, the powers and principalities and the Satan is actually ruling. God is sovereign over all. Obviously, we lean into this beautiful thing, but it's interesting even in the word sovereignty, there's layers to that word. We're a sovereign nation right now that we live in, and no, I'm not saying God is Justin Trudeau, but obviously our rulers don't make every meticulous decision for us and our families. They don't decide what we eat for breakfast or you know, whatever it is uh, in our homes, and yet we still are a part of a sovereign nation, and yet God here in love is always stretching out his arm, his his outstretched arm to invite people into his love and his grace, and yet the powers and principalities are at play. Now, with all that said, take a deep breath, okay? It's Easter, take a deep breath. One of the questions that comes up a lot is the question, is God good? Right? Is God good? Or is God faithful? It was fascinating. Uh, Last week, actually, our team was setting up and the worship team was there um, and they were preparing and people were setting up and so we were getting ready for the morning and they were practicing this song and it has a, a song lyric in it and the lyric goes like this. The lyric says, I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence, God. You've never failed me yet. And as we were practicing this, the team actually, it was really actually a beautiful, I actually think this is wonderful and beautiful. We need to be wrestling through this. Somebody asked the question, like, can we really sing um, the reality that God is faithful? Like, can can we actually sing this? Like, are we able to sing this, like, honestly? Because I think, and it's true, obviously, many of us feel at times that God has kind of let us down. And when we talk about faithful, sometimes it's just easy to look and go, are we really sure that God is faithful? Can I actually sing, you've never failed me yet? And it was actually a really awesome, I think uh, it was short, but it was a really good discussion around something that's important that we need to wrestle through. Is God good? Is he faithful? Amongst all the pain and everything that we experience in this age, is he actually good? And this really resonated last week for me because I've been thinking a lot the last year, but even more so over the last few years. um, You know, the last few years have been the hardest years of my life. So much pain, um, so much disappointment, so much wandering. At times, really um, questioning God, wanting to... I don't know if you call it place blame on him, but kind of direct things his way for some of the not so good things in my life. And I would imagine that I'm I'm not alone. And so as we were dialoguing through, can we actually sing, you've never failed me yet? I, I There's part of me that still lives in this reality that at times I kind of want to point either my anger or my disappointment towards God. And again, I, I would imagine there's many kind of in the same boat. But one of the things that, one of the questions I've just had to come around and have been refined in this as I've been thinking about this is just who's in control, one, and who are we directing? At least I'll I'll talk for myself. Who do I direct my, my pain, my anger 
at? Who do I kind of deem as responsible for some of the things in in my life? I mean, we've seen this at a at a pretty big level with deconstruction um, the last you know number of years in evangelicalism, but I would say even more so since COVID. And we are all, by the way, here for doubting and bringing your pain, your fear, your anger, whatever it is to God. We're all for that. We actually did a series last summer where we looked at deconstruction, and I think part of the Christian journey is is doubt at times, is questioning, is wrestling through things and wrestling through our pain. So we're all for that. But it's it's interesting right now, especially even how this is uh, kind of playing itself out online. A lot of deconstruction right now, and I, I'm talking about myself too because I'm I've been going through this. Um, looks more like Calvinism, and it often looks more like the prosperity gospel than it does biblical theology. And by the way, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm talking to myself, but. Really, when you think about it, a lot of times our disappointment in God and some of our deconstruction, when we um, point to God as kind of maybe unfaithful or some someone that has kind of let us down, it can often look more like Calvinism or the prosperity gospel. What do I mean by this? Well, I know I'm oversimplifying, but you know, the Calvinistic kind of worldview comes to the scriptures and says God is in control, like he's meticulously in control. With every decision, he ordains good and evil, um, even right down uh, for a lot of people in this kind of worldview. And these are Christians, or great people, but would think that even before the foundations of the earth, God has chosen our eternal kind of destiny, where we're headed. Heaven, hell, whatever you know that is, God's kind of chosen before. We have no say in it. He's the one that saves us. And it comes from a real posture that God is in control. And though a lot of people probably deconstructing don't see themselves as this, probably anti this, when you think about it, when we come from a posture that says God is in control, then when evil or there's not so good things or there's suffering in our lives, what we tend to do then is we just kind of tend to blame God, right? And I'm, I'm, this is not pointing at you. This is kind of looking at my own story, my own journey. Sometimes I can kind of just be like a pseudo-Calvinist in my ideas because when I'm disappointed, I want to kind of aim that disappointment. I want to aim that anguish at God as though he's responsible for every little thing, right? So there's that kind of side of things. Now, I don't think, obviously, most people would think they're a Calvinist when they're deconstructing, but sometimes that's just the posture of it if you're following me. The other side can be the prosperity side of things. I'll speak for myself again. Again, the, the, the fingers are going inward. I'm doing my own self-reflection here, but I think of my own life. You know, often my disappointment with God very much looks like the prosperity gospel. I mean, I get up in front of people and tell people how bizarre and how backwards the prosperity gospel is, but sometimes in practice, when God doesn't kind of meet my standards or do the things that I want him to do for me, or I walk through seasons of pain, I just kind of want to, you know, push it on him, look to him as the one who's responsible. And so again, I know a lot of people aren't thinking like my deconstruction looks like Calvinism or the prosperity gospel, but it's just, I think an important critique that needs to be made because that's at least how sometimes I want to posture my heart. I want to kind of shift the blame a certain direction or find my disappointment in a certain kind of direction. But the question is, again, like we got to ask who is in control and when we talk about suffering and pain and we talk about is God good, I've been real, I've just come more and more alive to the reality that I can sing this line. I can sing to God, you've never failed me yet because 
when I kind of put my direction, my, my attention in the right direction, I see at times, at least in my own story, that I have, I put it like this, I've kind of had the wrong guy in the past. And listen, no emails here, listen, I, I know that there are um, both genders, both masculine and feminine pronouns for God in the Bible. So that's, I'm just, for just that's another time, okay? We'll talk about this some other time. But for now, just the reality that at times, I've had the wrong person, right? I've wanted to direct or deem responsible this guy when in reality it's been the powers and the principalities. And listen, I'm not talking about seeing a, a, a devil or a demon under every doorpost as the classic kind of church saying is. I'm not talking about that. But because we lack oftentimes a theology of the powers and principalities, we just simply assert that God's in control of everything and ordaining the not so good things in my life, not realizing that there are the powers and principalities at play that are a part of this thing. And so when I come to that realization, and this has been, listen, this has been my own journey. The views, what do they say? The views expressed in this talk are more my own than the organizations. I'm just saying I have grown in this idea as in my own pain, my own stuff that I've been working through, my own disappointments, maybe I've had the wrong guy for a while. And coming to the realization that I can sing, you've never failed me yet. Because when I direct who's responsible and what's responsible, I begin to see the goodness of God and that he hasn't. He's, he's been giving his outstretched arm in and amongst all the chaos and, and everything that's gone on. And I so easily sometimes want to direct my attention to him being responsible when there could be other things at play. So I can sing that. Now, I'm not saying that you got to sit here and that that should be for you, right? I think all of us are on our journey with this and wrestling through this. Um, and maybe you do come from more of like a, whatever you call it, a Calvinist kind of worldview. There's lots of great Christians and there's, maybe you come from that posture where God does ordain everything and even before the foundations of the world makes decisions kind of that are out of your control. I mean, there's lots of Christians that, uh, you know, kind of buy into that and that's fine. That's, you're thinking we're talking about Calvinism and the prosperity gospel and Easter, but maybe you come from that space. But I will say that sometimes then when we get disappointed, of course we have to direct that to God, right? Because if he's in control, he's pulling every lever and string, then really he is responsible for the bad stuff. I've come to the reality that in my own journey in this, that maybe I had the wrong guy, right? Maybe I had the wrong guy. Maybe I had the wrong person, if you know what I'm saying. So with this said, l listen, as I think through this, it's fascinating to me that in this story, right, like especially pre the cross and in the age that we live in today, um, I don't, I've come to the realization, God is not uh, creating chaos, nor is he perpetuating sin or kind of, you know, pushing us into a, a realm of chaos. I think the powers and principalities are at play for that. I think us as in our, our own humanness play a responsibility in our own free will and our own decisions sometimes. Um, but what I love about this whole thing is that though God didn't create the chaos, God isn't responsible for the chaos, he still welcomes us to come to him and he bears it. I mean, even in the life of Jesus, this is what's so fascinating. Humans, um, in their pain, their suffering, their broken dreams. You see all the things that uh, are going on around us in a very broken world. And yet God still welcomes our doubts. 
He actually places them upon himself, still welcomes our fear, still welcomes our disappointment, um, still welcomes death, uh, like uh, wrestling through the death of, the, of a loved one or a broken relationship or whatever. He welcomes that, that upon himself. He actually receives that. Now think about Easter. The same thing for Easter. Here we are, finally to Easter. God did not ordain the chaos per se. He did not, um, in all the disorientation in our world, he wasn't out here just like inflicting things. He's not up in heaven. I don't think going, ha ha, like here's COVID for two and a half years or 10 years or whatever it's going to be. And yet in the monk, amongst all of that, he didn't ordain sin and create us, uh, create sin in the sense of like, here it is and here, like kind of controlling us into sin. And yet what does he do? Through the cross, he takes it all on himself anyway. Almost like a good parent, though he's not responsible, takes the ownership in our place for our sin, takes it upon himself and brings life to us through our choices of death and through ultimately the goal of the powers and principalities is death. He Easter is all about him not creating chaos, but taking that chaos and sin upon himself in our place. This is the beauty of the gospel. Now listen as we close here to Colossians chapter two. Listen to this because this is this is amazing. In Colossians chapter two, Paul highlights the gospel work and what's happening. And listen to what he says. Follow with me. Verse 13, he says, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave us all of our sins, uh, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So this exchange, God dying in, uh, dying in our place, putting self-sacrificial love on display, taking it out upon himself, making us new. And then listen, at verse, listen to verse 15. This is what it says. Paul says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He made a public spectacle of of the powers and principalities. So remember Genesis 3, the proto-gospel, the proto-euangelion that we see, that there would be this battle, that, that the Satan would nip the heels of God and, and his will, and yet you have God now coming to crush the head of the serpent. On the cross, God is dismantling uh, and making a public spectacle of the powers and principalities. See it, see it here? Easter, death, burial, and resurrection is in this big, grand story where Jesus has come to not only invite us in to salvation individually, absolutely, but corporately as well as a community to draw us into salvation to say, I have dealt with death once and for all. Now, you may be asking, hold on, we look around our age. Well, again, what started in the garden together, God's space, human space together, torn apart. And now through Jesus, God's kingdom is now, but it's not yet. Meaning God's kingdom is all around us. We see glimpses of his kingdom at work, but we still live in this fallen age. We still live in this present age. And yet God's on the move. New creation is bursting forth. This is what Jesus did through his life and his teaching, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He inaugurated this kingdom and he is bringing salvation. And even here in this little not now, not yet kind of example, soon there is a day that Jesus, the promises will return. And the eternal kind of vision is that God will bring heaven and earth back together in the new heavens and the new earth. And we will live and dwell with him forever. 
And so we live in this age where the powers and principalities are just grasping for straws. They're still at work and we need to have that before us. But what Jesus did is he defeated death. And yes, we see death around us, but the call is into life with him. And so you may sit here and you may have all sorts of questions about your own life. You may have disappointments with God and I totally understand that. But sometimes we just need to ask who's responsible. Well, the responsible one for dealing with death and drawing us into his love is none other than the man, Jesus. Fully God, fully human coming to us. And guys, I have a propensity to kind of lay blame in certain spaces and places. But what if we began to see that God in his love, in his goodness, gave us his outstretched arm and not only that, gave us himself and taking sin upon himself. He didn't create, he didn't cause the chaos, and yet he takes it upon himself. We live in this age longing for the age to come. Jesus came to dismantle the powers. And this is what Easter is is, is about, is partly about, is the rule and reign of Jesus, salvation being offered to you. And I encourage you, wherever you're sitting today, to receive it, to receive it, to receive God's love and grace through Jesus, to turn from yourself and your sin, place it on Jesus and come into the new family of God. I, I encourage you to do that. For others of you that have been on, the, on this journey a long time, and maybe there's just been a lot of disappointment, a lot of pain. Um, listen, I can, I can sit here and say, God, you've never failed me because I've gone through this process of who's responsible. And maybe that's just, uh, uh, this is maybe a moment in time for you where you could think through that as well. Jesus, the Messiah has come to deliver us from sin and death. And the call, brothers and sisters, is to receive it. So this Easter, wherever you're at, I pray that you would receive the love and grace of King Jesus.